31 days of breakthrough, 31 days of breakthrough throughout January. And like Chris was saying earlier, today is the 16th of January. So we've only actually got another 15 days ahead of us. And I don't know about you, but I am loving it. I am absolutely loving it. You know what, if you miss occasionally, please don't beat yourself up, okay? Don't beat yourself up. Romans chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? If you can't make a certain time, don't worry about it. God's not sitting up there with his notebook and saying, oh, you missed one, that's it. Negates all your prayers. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, okay? So don't listen to those lies. But we're talking about breakthrough. And last week, we spoke on David. Remember about David. Is this echoing a lot? It is. What if I bring it up higher, or should I take it down lower? What should I do, Johnny? Okay. What are you going to, are you going to move the speakers? Okay. Is that getting a bit better? Is that getting a bit better? Is that a bit better? I can see some people straining to hear. Okay. Is that a bit better? Right. We'll, we'll, we'll try and go with that. Thanks, Johnny. But last week, we looked at the account of David. Do you remember? And do you remember what the place, the name of the place that he, that, he, that he got those two victories? No, Chris, put your hand down. Can, who else can remember the name? Remember, we announced it. We spoke it out. Do you remember? Baal Perizim. You didn't practice that name during the week. I'm so disappointed. Baal Perizim. And then we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20. When um, it says there, when David went to Baal Perizim in verse 20, he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. And that is what this Baal Perizim is about. Baal, the word Baal, remember last week you heard this, Baal means Lord or Master. And perazim comes from the Hebrew word paras, which means to breach or to break. And so whether it's breaking through something, whether it's breaking out of something, or whether it's breaking something into pieces, that's, the, that's what it means, Baal perazim. It's a breaking into pieces. And that's what the Lord did to the Philistine army the huge numbers of the Philistine army. He broke through, God broke through the Philistine army. So the, and as a result, there were these two very significant victories for David. So Baal Perizim, the Lord has broken through my enemies like a breakthrough water. Now I know that Byron, Byron does a lot of work around the house, around people's houses. He's a handyman. And I know that he could, he could probably preach this a whole lot better than me. But you know what? When, if ever you have a leak in your house, there's nothing quiet that, that... Pardon? Call Byron. Yes, that's the answer. Call Byron. If you've got a leak in your house, call Byron. If you've got a leaking pipe, if maybe your dishwasher just doesn't work and maybe your dishwasher starts leaking how many people have washed you know they put your dishwasher on and the next thing you've come through to your kitchen and the floor is a wash that water gets everywhere and in fact this morning i was thinking i think 
three times we've had water dripping through our ceiling where the whole ceiling has had to be replaced, where the water tank has sprung a leak. And at first you see this little speck on the ceiling. You think, oh, I wonder what that dirty mark is. That's a funny little dirty mark. And then the next time you go back, you have a look, that dirty mark's got a little bit bigger. And then it gets a bit bigger. And it eventually gets bigger until eventually your whole ceiling is actually underwater and collapses. It's happened to us three or four times. And in fact, Byron has previously replaced one of our ceilings for that very reason. And so what I'm trying to do is paint a picture of how strong water is about this breakthrough of water. And you know, we've seen like with um, uh, Katrina, the devastation that Katrina caused that the Hurricane Katrina, um, it caused, it wiped out a whole city. And it didn't just start with a little, it didn't just, it didn't start with a complete break of, the, of, those, of those levees. What it started off with those levees breaking was just a crack. It started off with just a hairline crack. And that hairline crack, with the force of the water behind it, created a hole. And then once you've got the pressure of the water behind that hole and the, 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 the force of it and the momentum of the water eventually causes a dam wall to break. And I don't know if you've ever seen a dam wall breaking, but nothing can stop that water. It gains momentum, it flows, it breaks through. And that's what we're believing for in people's lives this year. We're not believing for a little trickle. We're believing for the breakthrough. We're believing for that dam to burst in people's lives. We're believing for our own Baal Perizim in everybody's lives in this 31 days. Do you know what? In the Bible, though, the Bible says, Jesus says, that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And yes, we're standing on God's word, but it is also... It's a very real thing. We're in a fallen world where we will have trouble. Trouble comes to us all. And we do have an enemy. We do have an enemy. And he is the devil. And he's not this little red comic book person with two horns and a pitchfork. No, the devil is very real. And his strategy is to rob, to kill, and to destroy. That is his strategy. So whether it's your faith, whether it's your family, whether it's your finances, whether it's your joy, whether it's your peace, he is intent on robbing, killing, and destroying. Isaiah 59, verse 19 says, the second part of it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, hang on, we've just been speaking about how God comes in like a flood. But look at this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. A standard. What is a standard? It's that flag. That's right. I saw that hand. It's a flag. It's a, it's a banner. You know, there's that name for, for God. It's called Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah, our victory, our banner. God has a banner over you and over me. And he will, when that, spirit, when that, 
When that enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up that standard, that banner over you, that victory over you. You know, even during wartime, when you see, especially the older type movies, you would see a battlefield. The first thing that they would do when they go to a battlefield, they put in, they put in their flag, they put up their flag. As long as that flag is on top of that flagpole, they're in a position of victory. But the minute that flag gets taken down, they're defeated. And that flag is used as a rallying point. It's an encouragement to the army to say, no, we're still victorious, we're winning. That flag is up, it's flying. We are still on the winning side. And at times, it can feel like we're on that battleground. It can feel like we're on that battleground. But we can have confidence that when the enemy comes in like that flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up that banner, that victory, that flag against him. You know, just in preparation, I just thought, I thought of something just recently on the news in the last couple of weeks. Here in Australia, okay, it's a topical conversation, this, but in Australia, Novak Djokovic, you know, he's been a bad boy. And, um, and there in Australia, I've seen the Serbian flag flying and the people are doing Serbian dancing outside this hotel where Novak's being kept. But that, that is like a rallying place. That paints a real good picture of what it's about. God has a banner over us. And I tell you what, maybe you're in a, maybe you're in a battle right now and you've not seen a victory. Maybe you feel like you've gone around this mountain. When is this ever going to end? When am I getting that breakthrough? You will get your breakthrough. You will get your breakthrough. All that it means is that God's not finished yet. God's not finished yet. Don't give up. Don't give up. Listen to what the Bible says. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. He always leads us in triumph. Not sometimes, always. When we go to Romans chapter 8, it's a well-known scripture, we see a whole list of things that can come against us. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us? Not what. Who? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from God's love. You know what? If you're in the middle of a storm, if you're in the middle of a trial, just become aware of God's love. I'm telling you, it will change your perspective because it changes your focus. Instead of being focused on the issue, instead of being focused on the problem, be focused on receive the love of God afresh. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Romans chapter 8. But Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So who shall separate us? So we see all these events that can happen, but they are instigated by one of three people. It's either the devil, it's either other people, or it could even be yourself. Or it could just be circumstances, actually four things. But in terms of people, 
It's either the devil, it's either other people, or it could even be ourselves. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. So at times we're faced with tribulation. What does that mean? It means oppression, difficulty, pressure. Oh, it's horrible. It's a horrible place. Tribulation is not a good place. I promise you this will get better, okay? Distress. What is distress? Distress means a confined place, a, a, a restricted place where there's extreme affliction. Goes on persecution. If you're a believer and you've opened your mouth about Jesus in front of other people, you'll know all about that one. Persecution. It's a good thing. Uh, where else are we? Persecution. Famine. Famine. That's hunger. You know, when we were in London a few weeks ago, Christmas time, we went to London. I've never seen so many homeless people that were destitute, homeless, hungry, famine, nakedness. I don't believe that's not, you know, we're getting up in the morning and saying, I've got nothing to wear. Um, it's not that kind of a nakedness. You know what I'm saying? I believe that this kind of nakedness, it means humiliation. Humiliation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Humiliation. Peril means danger. Or sword. Sword means um, execution. And sword can also mean judicial punishment. So do you know what? Even if you've been sent to prison for a crime you did commit, it's amazing how many prisons are filled with people who didn't commit any crimes. Everyone pleads, pleads um, innocence. But, but if you sent, get sent to a prison for a crime you did commit, nothing can separate you from God's love. Even that will not separate you from God's love. He might not be pleased with you. He might not be pleased that you've done whatever it is, what you, whatever it is. None of these people here, by the way, it's the people that didn't come today, okay? It's those people. But he still loves you. But the point is, God isn't always pleased with us, but he still loves us. So Romans 8, so who shall separate us from the love of God? And then he goes on in Romans 8, 37. I love what the Amplified says. It says, in the midst of these things, in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors. In the midst of trials, in the midst of humiliation, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of distress, in the midst of nakedness, peril, sword, we are more than conquerors. Not only that, we gain a surpassing victory. We gain a surpassing victory. How can you say that? We gain something when we're going through this because God's banner over us, his banner, his Jehovah Nissi, his flag over us is victory. We gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. You know, as, as we're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're not just, Jesus is the conqueror. He's the one who's overcome the enemy. But we are more than conquerors in him and we've gained a surpassing victory so we're not only not losers but we are abundant gainers we gain victory through him who loved us thanks be to god who always leads us in triumph he always does so that's just my introduction <laughs> whoops
So, having said that, <laughs> oh dear, let me tell you, I promise I'm just going to stop. When, when the time is up, I'm just going to stop, okay? But I know this is going to carry on next week, so you want to come back next week for the part two. But last week we looked at those two significant victories of David. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at another person in the Bible. His name is Gideon. Gideon. And so if you want to read about it, go home and read two chapters from the Bible. So little homework. Judges chapter 6 and 7. In the Old Testament, Judges 6 and 7. Go and read those two chapters. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to go and try and go through it a little bit, bit by bit, verse by verse, and I'm just going to try and sort of relay a bit of the story and the account of what actually happened during the life of Gideon. And so in Judges chapter 6, we see this account. The Bible says that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't say exactly what they did, but we can tell from the text that they were actually into idolatry and into Baal worship. So that is evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Bible says that God, because of this, God handed them over to their enemy, the Midianites. He handed them over to them for seven years. For seven years. And as a result, because God handed the children of Israel over to the Midianites, they had to go and live in caves and dens in the mountains. They couldn't stay in these lush, verdant valleys where they would have been able to enjoy the, 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 the fresh herbs and grow up, plant their crops. And, and they were farmers, uh, the children of Israel. That's how they survived. They would plant crops and they would have sheep and oxen and they were, they were farmers. But they had to go and live and hide out in caves and dens up in a mountain. So they were experiencing a little bit of Romans 8. They were experiencing tribulation. They were experiencing being confined into a small place. That's what they were going through. And every time what happened to over those seven years, the children of Israel would sow seed, they would plant their crops up on those mountains, as difficult as it was, and every year at harvest time, the Midianites would come in. Not just the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Bible says, and the people from the east would come in and swoop through, take away the whole harvest, and remove and take away all their oxen, all their sheep, all their donkeys, all of their livelihood. And so basically, the children of Israel were getting starved to death by their enemy. That was a hard place. That's a really hard place. <coughs> Sorry. And the Bible says that the number of the Midianites was so numerous, they were, they were like a swarm of locusts. They were like a swarm of locusts. And I googled, I went to my friend, Google. I said, how big is a swarm of locusts? One billion they think. I mean, who's actually counted them? But anyway, it's huge. But can you imagine this, this, these, these people coming in these huge numbers with their camels, these horrible animals? They're horrible. They spit. They stink. They're horrible. <laughs> they really are. I wouldn't like to take a, ride a camel. But anyway, but finally, after seven years, 
after seven years, as a last resort, seven years this happened, as a last resort, they had a great idea. Let's cry out to God. <laughs> Prayer was their last resort. That was their last resort. Unlike David, remember last week, David, his first priority, he went to his stronghold. He went to his room and he shut the door and he spent time with God. He got alone with God. He got strategy from God. But this bunch, no, they waited for seven years. So make prayer your first resort. You know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, make prayer your first resort. Don't hold on to it. Don't hold on to your issue, your problem, for seven hours, for seven days, for seven weeks, for seven months. Don't, don't hold on to it. Then become, you know what? We, we start putting up with things. We start living with these things. It reminds me of the guy in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, when, when um, the disciples, this is after Jesus had been crucified and the disciples were, were ministering to the people and they, they, they went to the, to, to the temple gate and they saw this man lying there at the temple gate. He'd been born lame at, and he was, laying, he was lying there begging alms and Peter and John arrived and they said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I unto you. Rise up and walk. And he, they pulled him up. By, this guy had been a cripple since birth. He was a man. He must, this is at least 18 years that this guy's been lying there at that temple gate begging. That was his livelihood. But these guys, the man of God, um, Peter and John, lifted him up and got him on his feet again. He stood on his feet. He didn't carry this thing for the next 18 years. You know, sometimes that's what we can do, is we can put up with things. We can put up with things. We, we don't deal with them. We don't give it to God. We think, no, it's okay, I can manage it. And you know what happens? We start, that thing starts carrying us. That starts carrying us. That becomes who we are. It gets into us. Don't allow it. No, don't delay. God's mercies are new every morning, every morning. The children of Israel were suffering for seven years. Distress, famine, peril, restriction, confinement, terrible stuff. And after seven years, they cried out to God. And immediately, God responded. Immediately, God responded. But you know what? His answer wasn't an immediate, okay, well, here's some manna, like he's done before. Here's some manna, you can eat this manna like I've done before. Um, I'm not going to eradicate the Midianites. He's not going to do that. He didn't obliterate them. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way that we expect him to. We pray, and then God answers prayers in a different kind of way, and afterwards we realize, God, look what you did. I didn't even see it coming, but he He's so, he's so, what's the word, creative. God is so creative, eh? But so what did God do? God sent to, the, to this, the sun's moved, so I've got to move. But God sent, you're very close, Chris. But God sent an unnamed prophet to, to the children of Israel and started trying to help them. He reminded them of God's love. 
He reminded them, he reminded the children of Israel of what God had previously done, of his great power. That's what God did. He sent this prophet. You know what a prophet does? It's not just, hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. That's not necessarily a prophet, although in some circles that's the way they operate, bless God. But a prophet declares the heart of God. That's what a prophet does. He speaks the heart of God. And he spoke the heart of God. And I believe he caused them to repent. Because there was a change, there was a turnaround. He, 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 he spoke the word of God and he reminded them. He didn't say, repent, you sinners. No, he said, remember the mercies of God. Remember the love of God. Remember how he's taken care of your fathers previously in the wilderness. Remember how he provided manna. Remember how he parted the Red Sea. Remember the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, if we're drifting away from him, it's his goodness that draws us back. The problem that the children of Israel were going through wasn't so much the Midianites. It wasn't just the fact that they were so evil. And in fact, I I read up about this this week. Apparently, these Midianites... They were the most undisciplined, unruly mob. They were not organized. They just, they relied completely on their numbers. They just came in and attacked because of their numbers, for numbers' sake. But the problem wasn't so much that the Midianites were so evil. The problem was that Israel had turned their backs on God. That was the problem. And sometimes God sent that prophet. And sometimes God can do the same thing with us. You know what, you can be listening to something maybe on TBN or careful what you watch. But anyway, but you know what, sometimes a, a, a brother or a sister can come with a word. Just take heed, take heed. Sometimes God will use a donkey. He can speak to us, he will speak to us. If he's trying to get our attention, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And sometimes we can have our problem and we can look at this problem and we think, this is just too big for me. And it's definitely too big for God. I'm just going to hold on to it, do nothing with it, sweep it under the carpet, just hopefully it'll go away. Or else we take that problem out and we look at the problem. We, we dissect it from every angle. We, we study it, we dissect it, we relive it, we magnify it. This is my problem. The Bible says magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Don't tell your problem. Don't tell tell your problem how... Don't don't speak to your problem. Tell your problem how big your God is. Tell your problem how big your God is. And start declaring the promises of God over your problem. Zechariah 4, verses 7. Zechariah 4. Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, great problem? Mm -hmm. Who are you, great problem? Before Zerubbabel, put your name in there. Before Anne, before Chris, before Byron, before Veronica, you shall become a plain. Speak to your mountain. Insert your name in there. And in the previous verse, it says, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. 
You know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up that standard. And the same thing, we don't have to start shouting and swearing at our, at our problems, but we just declare God's word over it. Who are you, great mountain? I tell you what, two years ago, we were faced with a huge mountain that we didn't know which way was up. We didn't know what we were going to do. We were completely, we didn't know, just, I just can't even begin to tell you what we went through. It was terrible. We didn't know what we were going to do. This was the scripture we stood on. We started declaring this over our circumstances. Who are you, great mountain? Yes, you're a problem. We're not denying the problem. But before us, you will become a plain. Before us, you will become a plain. God came through in a miraculous way. That thing was removed. One day it was there, and the next day it was gone. It was just like that. Just like that. Mark 11, 23, the Bible says, Jesus says, Jesus speaking, he says, for assuredly, there's that word, in the old King James, the original, verily, verily, I say unto thee, most assuredly, undoubt, undoubtedly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And this works in the positive and it works in the negative. If you are believing God for breakthrough, you will get a breakthrough. If you are believing God for something negative, and I know that during this situation with COVID, it's a bit of an extreme situation, but I can't tell you how it bugs me every year when we turn on the TV. That's it, it's flu season. We're all going to get sick. I can't bear it. I can't stand it. Well, you can believe for that. That's believing in your heart. That's confessing with your mouth. And guess what? You're going to get it. It's going to work in the negative as well as the positive. Be careful of the words you speak. Your words are containers. They contain power. They contain power. And when, you're, when you fill your mouth with the word of God, that's the breath of God on that word. That's, that's power. That is breakthrough. So when you start looking at your mountain, you be removed. You be cast into the sea. I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting. I'm believing in my heart, confessing with my mouth. Whatever I say will come to pass. It will come to pass. So we speak to our mountain. We don't speak about our mountain. Our words are powerful. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So when Israel, after seven years of hardship, eventually cried out to God, God responded. And I read a quote yesterday, and I thought it encapsulates this whole thing. Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. We can either have panic and chaos, or we can have peace. And the way that we do it, go to God. Go to your stronghold. Call on God.